WMQA. Hello and welcome to WMQA. I'm Dan Grote. And I'm Matt Laswitz. And this week, our guests are the co creators of Vault Comics' new series, Witchblood, Matthew Ehrman and Lisa Sterl. Welcome to the show. Hi. Hi, Dan and Matt. It's nice to be here. Hi. <laughs> So, uh, Lisa, you're a returning guest. Uh, Matthew, you're a new friend. Uh, so, we'll yeah. you the icebreaker. Uh, what comics do you remember reading when you first got into comics? I actually remember the first comic I ever bought. It was at Mavericks in uh, Dayton, Ohio, mm -hmm. which is where I'm from. We're, we're both from, actually. And it was a, I don't know, I don't remember the, the number of it. But it was a Spider Ham comic, and okay. I was probably about six or seven, maybe maybe eight, and I was really blown away that uh, I it just you know I like Spider Man, and then they added this. I didn't think it was possible, honestly, at, at eight years old, for someone to do such a thing, and uh, I, I think that really woke in my uh, my fascination with kind of how weird comics can be. Mm -hmm. Do you remember any of the other, like, surrounding ancillary animal characters in that issue? Any of the villains or the other heroes? I always remember Captain Americat, which I always think is... That rings a bell. I, I, you know, if I could remember the cover, it's, it, it's going to be so frustrating me, frustrating hearing me try to explain and describe a Spider-Ham cover from 25 years ago. But, I, I, I mean, I don't remember. I was just being, you know, I was just... Honestly, I was a pretty precocious and simple-minded kid, so anything that was colorful and weird like got my attention. And I went through stuff like any kid does, you know, you you intake and then you're like, and then you just uh, and then you forget it immediately when the next thing comes around and mm -hmm. but I yeah, I was like that for a long time. I I really like Spider-Man, I really like Batman. Um I really like the uh, there was a there was an arc I was reading when I was a kid like really like again like eight or nine that was like Spider Man versus dinosaurs and it had like the uh, like the post Todd McFarlane Spider Man like style on it and it was like I think I had just played there was a Sega Genesis game called Maximum Carnage that yes. got me into Spider Man and I think it was like right after that stuff so I don't know I looked I I really was into Spider Man when I was a kid. <laughs> Right on. Um, so I, I think, I, I, I can't remember how many uh, couples we've had uh, on the podcast. I'm thinking very, very few, but uh, you know, I'm, I'm curious, uh, you know, as, as creators yourselves, like, how did you guys meet? Uh, uh, no, not Facebook. It was before Facebook. It was MySpace. MySpace it was like 11, 10 or 11 years ago. We had uh -huh. some mutual friends. I think uh, Lisa we're, was- we were, we're, we're both from Dayton. Yeah. Uh, coincidentally, our parents lived down the street from each other, which yeah. we didn't know until we moved out of our parents' Really houses. wild. <laughs> so it was but very I think weird coincidence. You were, what, looking for anime recommendations or something? And I was like... I don't even know if I was looking. I think you just offered them. <laughs> <laughs> That's probably what happened. Uh, and... I think, I, think, I think you recommended me uh, uh, the Satoshi Kon anime. Oh, Paranoia Agent. Paranoia Agent, that's right. Really great. Paprika. Yep. Um, but yeah, you know. Yeah, we, so, we, so, we, so we met online, and then I convinced him to move to Columbus with me mm -hmm. in my sophomore year of college. That was when you were in art school when here. When I was in art school, yeah. and uh, I don't know, like a year or two later, we were dating. Yeah, and I was working shitty jobs for 10 years until I started writing comics, so... 
Okay. The, real, the real question is, at what point did you migrate into each other's top eight friends? <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, I feel like that was pretty, uh, I mean, I, I, uh, I, I don't know if you ever actually made it. Into the I think top it was eight. at the ass end of MySpace where top eights were kind of a joke at this point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So if you really, if you really cared about the top eights, you were, you were into it a little too much. And those people you wanted to stay away from. Uh, <laughs> but uh, no, I don't know. It was just like, I, I feel lucky that we met and we're able to have a relationship before like, I, I, it really feels like so antiquated, like, oh, there was only one social media network back then. It was my, it's just like, we didn't yes. have to deal with Tinder. And oh all yeah, that. We ne- we've never had to do Tinder. No, right? none of that or, shit. Or any of that. It's no. like, I Draft love hearing, sto- I love hearing stories <laughs> about that stuff. Cause I just like, I didn't. Oh, I love Tinder dating for my friends, my single friends though. It is. <laughs> totally. it is. <laughs> but I'm so glad I, don't, I never. No, it, 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 it seems legitimately like a existential nightmare, <laughs> like a wake, like a waking nightmare. I, I, I'm not going to go because I, I was, I met my wife on the internet, but pre Tinder, it was okay, Cupid, God help me. Oh yeah, um, no. But I actually, I'm going to tell a different story briefly. If you'll, if you and our listeners will bear with me because that whole your parents live down the street from each other reminds me of a story shortly after i met the other gentleman on this phone call or skype call where dan and i became friends and one day i i was we were running late leaving school and i needed to pick up my brother and dan was getting picked up by his mom and she's like you know if you need a ride we can drop you off to pick him up at his elementary school and i'm like great and we're we're in the car and dad's mom so how's your dad i'm like oh he's fine and i'm like my head's like oh my dad had thrown his back out recently so i figured yeah. dad might have mentioned it and this and how's your uncle lee and aunt peggy and i'm like huh my mom was my all dad, up in business all <laughs> my dad doesn't barely talks to his brother they get they, they talk much more now but back then and i was like he'd be like dan didn't mention that i went to high school with your father and your uncle i'm like no <laughs> like, totally well, skipped that over that was a small freaking world that's really random yeah. but you know honestly to, to to dan's defense the the social lives of my parents at that age were of a <laughs> were very bottom of my list of concerns to bring up to my friends like hey you know my dad knows your aunt oh yeah no i mean i i would never have expected him to at all i was just blown away because i was like oh yeah it's weird for sure yeah these are this is an aunt and uncle who i haven't thought about in ages because my father's <laughs> one of like seven kids did so y'all grow up in a small town or is it where where y'all yeah. from no north, uh, north, north jersey. jersey okay so yeah. there's really no excuse then <laughs> newark, the new the general newark area so it's it's basically you know the megalopolis that is new york yeah. that is slowly eating all of new jersey yeah no i i was thinking maybe you were from i'm i'm from a my a lot of my extended family's from like a real small part of kentucky so like mm. they all know each other like <laughs> they like scream across the hills to each other it's very it's it's a very t- small community um so i was wondering if that was the case but no new jersey that's the exact opposite yeah <laughs> yeah but you know now it's 30 years later and we're doing a podcast hey. so <laughs> there's that <laughs> So, um, is there, is there a, you know, because you guys are occupying the same, uh, well, apart from, from the fact that you occupy the same space, you know, is there a significant way that how you work together differs from, you know, processes that you've had with other creative partners? Well, yeah, it's for sure different. I mean, I think that 
I mean, working with Lisa is the best way that I can put it is like this room, the, the room that we're currently in is essentially an office. Mm -hmm. And when we're in here, Lisa's my coworker. And I, I think that's the best way to put it. And we, we kind of operate that way. Well, it's that, a, that, and I think when it comes to working on a comic together specifically, wow. it is a level of collaboration that it's almost like elements of the art and the writing is kind of indistinguishable as far as whose idea it was, because we're always just like, yeah poking into each other's part and talking things out with each other. Oh yeah, showing for each sure. Other progress work in a way that like, I love to do with other writers and other creators when I'm working on comics, but it's just uh, so much easier and- uh, It's so fast. Yeah, exactly. I can you turn around. You don't, have to, yeah. you don't have to email someone or chat, send a text, whatever. Um, uh, yeah, uh, and specifically with like, the brainstorming sessions for Witch Blood and for Long Lost too. It's uh, something I would love to be able to replicate with other writers, but it's just yeah, we'll, we'll literally be like, I mean, Witch Blood came about for, from just sitting out on the back porch drinking some beers and talking about what kind of thing we wanted to work on. Yeah, and uh, it just organically grew from there. Uh, so yeah. I mean, yeah, we've we've been thinking about I don't know if you guys are familiar with our with the comic that we first did, which was Long Lost. Mm -hmm. Um but I mean we ascend as soon as we finished Long Lost and even probably before we were done working on it, we were thinking of what was our like what our next thing was gonna be working together because it's you know, it's 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 a little different from like going out and finding an artist for a pitch that you have versus working with your wife and, and working with your husband to mm -hmm create something that you both want to spend a lot of time doing and it's just like and it's also cool to be like you know in the gestational phase of being able to like watch movies together that we think might be inspiring or reading yeah. comics that we think we got to kind of share the inspirational process uh -huh. yeah and and so i really think it helps form a very cohesive vision of the work because you are Absolutely. you you, you you have a very similar viewpoint because you're I, drawing from the yeah. same places. I went times. into, yeah, we both went into Witch Blood knowing exactly what we wanted, knowing exactly who the character was and knowing like, it, 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 it's like, it's so funny reading some reviews because it's just like, I'm just like, wait, it all pays off. <laughs> you don't have to worry. I know what I'm doing. Uh, and uh, that is to say like, I would say like 90 99 percent of the reviews have been very very positive and we're very lucky but the one percent that are just like wanting a little bit more i'm like i can't give you everything in the first i gotta leave you wanting a little bit um but no it's like it's, it's cool i think that's part of the creative process is that we get to figure all that stuff out together cohesively and there's not you know, there's not the disconnect of time, like lagging it out or yeah, distance. It's, yeah, it's very convenient to sum it all up. Um, so, so yeah, uh, you, you, you've mentioned kind of the reason for the season here. You guys are working together on uh, Witch Blood yeah. uh, from, from Vault Comics, which uh, for the listeners uh, is a modern Wild West road trip about a witch named Yona uh, cruising the Southwest as a band of bloodthirsty bi uh, biker vampires, the Hounds of Love, great name, uh, hunt her scattered <laughs> coven for the source of all magic, Witch Blood. Uh, so we've kind of talked about how, the, you know, this, this series came to be and you guys kind of uh, pitching at each other. Um, the book, uh, you know, feels like, you know, it, it, it's, 
like we, I kind of just described reading the solicit text, it's a stew of influences. You know, you've got yeah. Western elements, you've got supernatural elements, you've got that, that, that the lead is a hot mess, but you can't help but root for her uh, element. Um, you Kate know, Bush. How, yeah. <laughs> Kate Bush is, uh, I don't know if, if you guys aren't familiar, but uh, Kate Bush had a very, po uh, very popular album in the 80s called The Hounds of Love. That's mm -hmm. a reference to that. So uh, there's references and like inspirations all throughout it. You're absolutely right. We, we are not shy about the things that we love. And this is one of those instances and one of those stories that really benefits from kind of having it be on your sleeve and being very obvious. And we, we, we have the most amount of fun that way without, when we, when we don't have to hide what we love as well. Near dark? Absolutely. I mean, the, okay. main, char the main character, or not, the main bad guy's name is Paxton, which is an obvious <laughs> reference to uh, Bill Paxton, his incredible role in that movie. Uh, we actually debated about that. There was, that was a big debate. For a while, we're like, do we want to be that obvious? And <laughs> I keep it a little secret how much we love this movie. I specifically it. Bill Paxton's performance. Is that it? <laughs> yeah, I demanded that we keep that character's name Paxton. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Paxton, Lance Henriksen. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, very young Adrian Pastar. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's all good. I mean, that, that that I mean the Catherine Bigelow who would go on to do. Uh, uh, point Break and mm -hmm. The Hurt Locker like it's so like and it's one of those things where like you look at this creator Catherine Bigelow given like the it's such a when you look at her other movies it's so different and it's so fun and it's so genre and it's like you have these sandboxes that are so fun to play around with and that's what Witch Blood is to us it feels like at least um you know, Lisa, Lisa, the last time you were on the show, we were talking about the uh, the Modern Witch Tarot deck uh, that, that you'd put out. Um, you know, do you feel like uh, this is this is kind of an extension of the same influences that that, that drove you to make that with all the, you know, uh, which, by, by the way, that was 2019. And that feels like like a lifetime ago now. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that just... I mean, fashion is always a huge, fashion and style is always a huge influence and inspiration on everything that I do. And I definitely wanted that to carry through witch blood. And just in general, I'm just a sucker for magic and cool witches doing badass things. And whether that's like, you know, within a tarot card, communicating to young tarot readers or young comic book readers that I, I think, I, I think that the, uh, these the, the inspiration behind it is definitely very similar. Uh, yeah. yeah, it's it, it's it's I, it's it's a. I mean, based off of tarot, the tarot deck, which I had nothing to do with, but just looking at that and kind of writing witch blood for you, I, I knew you wanted to have a very uh, inclusive, representational look at what what these kinds of characters can be and what they can look like. For sure, definitely. That's always running through my mind as I am. And there's going to be a lot of witches in yeah. this series. Not to, no spoilers, but you're going to see all kinds of different kinds of witches. And um, it is, I also think like part of the reason that I wanted to do Witch Blood is because I had so much fun with the tarot deck. Just because uh, when I was creating the tarot, essentially with each new card, I got to create new characters mm -hmm. and um, figure out who they were, what they represented, what they thought about, uh, and how their, you know, style kind of reflects that. And 
So with Wishful, I specifically remember asking Matt at the beginning, I was like, I just want to be able to have fun and create these like new characters as often as I can. Yeah, so, I mean, I'll ask Lisa, like, what do you want to draw for the next issue or something yeah. like that? It's like, it's like, as far as writing it, it's, it's as much about writing to what Lisa wants to do as it is to writing like what I want to do. And mm -hmm. I think that's the, I think that's the best part is like, I know that asking you, you know, what kind of witch do we want here? Or what kind of magic do we want to showcase here? And be like that. And it just helps writing the, it's the right, it makes the writing it's process. It's super fun. It's super fun to, to work in a, such a fantastical kind of world because anything is possible. So yeah, a lot of times we sit down at the beginning of, you know, you writing an issue and you literally, yeah, you literally ask me like, what do you want to draw? And I'm like, hmm, what kind of magic do I want to draw? What would be cool to see? And then we, and then it, you know, works its way into the plot and helps yeah. to inspire you. Oh, for sure. Well. And HU5 um, is really like, that's like, I'm really excited for people to get deep into this series because like issue five is like totally like that where I just, at the beginning of it, I just asked you what you wanted to draw and that's like the whole issue, basically. It's so cool. That's great. Um, you know, I, as I was kind of, you know, getting ready for the show, I, I found the, uh, the the Spotify playlist for, oh, yeah. for the book. Um, first of all, it's got some real bangers on it. Uh, Thank you. I, I was listening to it last night. Uh, at what point in the process did, you know, did this come together? And, you know, was it, you know, was it easy to throw together or was it something that you sort of agonized over uh, on the side in true mixtape fashion? We've been, well, I, Lisa, Lisa's a lot less anxious about it than I am, but I, I've spent two years probably adding and tinkering with that playlist since we started coming up with this idea. I, music to me and like the whole really my my creative process revolves around music and I really like that's where the start of a lot of my inspiration comes from so when it comes to witch blood I always I can always look at that playlist and get back into certain mindsets when I listen to certain songs on that playlist and yeah I mean I, I think I probably added a new song like two weeks ago or something not even just to just to keep it there and and reference back to it when I knew that I wanted to hit a certain mood or something. Um, there is one song that I wanted to ask about that is on Please. the playlist. Um, specifically, uh, Easy Lover by Phil Collins and Phil Bailey. Yeah, um, it's a great song. I, 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 I hope I'm not asking a spoiler question because I'm not looking for spoilers, but I'm curious why that song made the list. Well, if I'm being totally honest, and I'm going to be totally honest because I'm not... Uh, I'll call you out if you aren't. I know. <laughs> so uh, I am a huge fan of JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, and I don't okay. think that is uh, a secret to basically anyone in my life at this point. Uh, I love the manga. I love the anime. And part of the, the liking that show is kind of appreciating the musical references that are inside the show as well. And there's a whole fan community on YouTube that makes these incredible, fully animated uh, opening sequences to certain uh, unanimated portions of the manga. And Easy Lover was one of the songs that this fan used to animate. And I was, I fell in love with that song after seeing it. I was like, I got to put the a perfect vibe for Witchblood. And I fell in <laughs> love with it. Um, but uh, I don't know. I, I, I don't know particularly who that song applies to quite yet in the story. I don't know if it'll work its way into the actual 
uh, narrative in a in a big way, but I think it's just one of those songs that it's got the vibe. Yep. It's got the vibe. It's just got the vibe. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So the reason that I asked, uh, here comes another flashback story, but uh, so my, I am the son of a diehard Phil Collins fan. Wonderful. Like, my mother was obsessed with him. And so, you know, <laughs> I'm like five years old, no jacket required has come out. And on every trip, everywhere in, in town, that was, that was what was playing. That was back <laughs> to my childhood. Now that's incredible. It, it drove me nuts as a child. Sure but like now, of course I connect it with like positive, you know, feelings about my mother. And so it's this weird sort of love, hate, push, pull thing. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> I, I probably, that song probably sent you to a place when it came up on that playlist. I'm it, sorry. It did. It did. <laughs> well, no, well, yeah, I, I, that's, that's the, that's the magical thing about music. It's like, you know, that song means something to me and this story. And for you, it means something totally different, but I think we both heard the same song. And so we get to apply how we feel about that and the context of that when I like, we'll put a potion in witch blood called Easy Lover or something. And you're like, oh, cool reference. And that contextualizes things and it makes you attach yourself a little bit more to the moment because you get the reference. And it's like, I really love doing it, th stuff like that for Witchblood. It's really it's, fun. It's literally Matt's dream that people will actually listen to the playlist while reading the comic. Yeah. So that's, that's my preferred, that's my preferred way to read. Like comic. if he could somehow make it mandatory or to invent comics that, that work like the greeting, greeting card cards chips. that play music when you open them up, <laughs> he would 100% do that. If this. comics could have greeting card music chips in them when you open the certain pages, I would, uh, I think that I think those would be either really fucking annoying or really popular. <laughs> not, not, to not to mention how that pitch meeting would go. Now, uh, listen, listen, Wassel family, um, <laughs> music rights for this one. <laughs> uh, yeah, they they probably would not be thrilled about that uh, marketing pitch. Uh, but uh, you, you know, I I. I I must, I'm much less musically obsessed than I, you know, than I used to be in my old age, but you know, I do miss putting together a good mix. Like I was just it's thinking so about much this, fun. Like, my iPod is a brick now sitting yeah. in a drawer. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a sin. <laughs> I, um, you know, every comic that we've done together and that I do independently, I make it my own mixes for each comic and Mm -hmm. I really just like it's and then it, you listen to them obsessively obsessively you like non-stop <laughs> and it's just like, like I I will know exactly what script he's working on at any given time in the day based on the music that he's listening to it's true it's a hundred percent accurate <laughs> and uh it's it's really a part of the creation process like I like, like I devote I block out time you know at the beginning of script writing or at the beginning of ideating a a something or other to to just listen to music it's part of the whole thing so uh we talked we talked about fashion a little bit but i was curious you know uh when when you were designing yana uh you know what what some of the what were some of the reference materials that you looked at oh it was a very wide swath um from like like 90s bright girl stuff to alexander mcqueen to uh 70s easy writer like cowboy southwestern looks yeah. to like i remember matt had sent me some uh avant-garde fashion that he'd found that was out of this world and I love that stuff. so 
It was kind of all over the place. Um, I just um, I think the 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 look that I was going for. I guess I just didn't want it to feel singular. Like I didn't want all the vampires to just look like punks. Yeah, there's definitely punk influence here and there. Uh, but I wanted everyone to have their own flavor. And uh, yeah, I just um, yeah. No, I I I I I completely. I completely understand and and I think that's the biggest thing that we were trying to do is make each of the characters feel absolutely unique because it's like when you look at so it's like there's two ways about going about like creating a group like when you look at the hounds of love we could have definitely gone like the the warriors like they all have matching costumes they're all very easily recognizable yeah. just by like mm -hmm. they all have the same color scheme or something but I think that takes away from the individuality and I'm excited that you know it's just the first issue, but when you guys get into the story and when there's more issues out, uh, I, they each have their own personalities and they each have like, they're each in, unique to the story. And um, we wanted to reflect that immediately with how they dress. Yeah, there was also um, one element that I put a lot of thought into, which was something that I uh, ha didn't have to consider when it came to the modern witch tarot, for instance, was uh functionality yeah and um like for instance the vampires uh if you read the first issue you know that they have a little trick for getting around during the day but you also like they are still susceptible to sunlight and have to be careful so when i designed their outfits i had to make sure that they were all wearing clothes that essentially covered most of if not mm -hmm. all of their bodies yeah they have masks too um, so as much as it would have been fun to create some, I don't know, some really uh, fetishware inspired looks for some of them, uh, they it wouldn't it wouldn't it wouldn't have quite worked. Um, same same for Yona, like she's on a motorcycle a lot of the time, so she needed something that like those pipes are hot. You your your leg brushes against the you yeah. know an exhaust pipe or something that'll give you like third or, or fourth you degree get burns. Thrown off your bike yeah. like no you're going to be real messed up if absolutely leather yeah and it's road leather and the hex hunter i thought about like she's she's going to need to be pretty mobile yeah. and fast and uh uh yeah um i definitely wanted to make sure that i blended kind of my fashion instincts with uh practical practicality yeah Um, I was, I was, sorry, we were talking about not want, you know, wanting to put them in, in fetish wear. And then I was thinking about Paxton's, uh, giant white leather, uh, fringe, uh, <laughs> like that's somebody's fetish. <laughs> Stars. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> Love fringe. But, uh, so, uh, Gap Contreras uses such a bright palette uh, in this book, which, you know, you, you, you hear in your head, you hear Western, and you hear Supernatural, and you, you, you think about, you know, sort of like dusty earth tones and, and darker colors, but, but this, is, this is a bright book. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, Yona's got that bright kind of turquoise aquamarine hair. Um, you know, what were those initial discussions like when you all were talking and thinking about the kind of palette that you wanted? Well, coming from the creative, like the writing side, every time I've been out to the desert in the Midwest, or not the Midwest, the Southwest, 
it's sunny and it's gorgeous and it's bright and it's hot. And it's like very, very occasionally there's like a lot of clouds in the sky. Very occasionally is it raining. Yeah. But most of the time it's bright and hot. And when there's color, it's reflecting the light and it's really bright. And I think for me, it was, uh, I mean, I, I specifically wanted to work with Gab because I had seen her working with neon and really bright palettes in other work. And I was like, she can do it. And Oh yeah. What was that comic that she did that we, that, that we, that we first saw that we were like, Oh, this is it. I think it was it from, was it, was it, it Zojaquin? Was it, did she, did she color that? Anyway, we're bad at this. <laughs> you put me on the spot. It's I'm fine. blanking now on everything, but, um, but yeah, she's, uh, she's, she works with neon and bright colors really well. And I knew before we even got to the, you know, working with the color stage that I wanted it to be bright and neon. And I, I mean, to be fair, like, I, I'm not even sure if I'd even really considered like, is this the right tone and color for the story? No, we did not, we, we because, did not second guess ourselves. Right, no, it was just, I mean, it tends to be my instinct to go bright with color. It's just my own personal taste. I just have always loved yeah. bright saturated. colors. Saturated, like, uh, you know, high chroma reds and pinks and teals. And, um, and to me, kind of combining that, uh, I don't know, like Las Vegas neon with just Southwest sunsets and sunrises uh, and golden deserts made sense to me. Oh yeah. Uh, and Gab really helped kind of push it even further than I even could have imagined with just the way that she treats like the night scenes, for instance. Yeah. She did absolutely amazingly. And uh, the last page of that issue as well. Uh, with the fire and stuff. Yes, yeah. yeah. So yeah, um, I, I personally have, have definitely always gravitated towards bright colors versus more muted naturalistic palettes. Which is funny because Long Lost is all in black and it's all monochromatic. Nobody would know. I go on this long rant about how much I love bright colors and then, oh yeah, Long Lost shows almost, yeah. (laughs) That was three years ago. People change. It's true. Uh, But uh, yeah, no, Gab's also coloring uh, Liana Kangas' True Cult and I'm loving that. So yeah. She's also got Final Girls on Comixology yeah, as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah, that just, okay. that just, uh, that's uh, Sally Cantorino. Yes. And I forget who else is right, or I forget the writer. Yeah, me too. It's okay. Shoot. It's okay. Yeah. <laughs> they they um, can be on the show and they can promote themselves. <laughs> But uh, uh, one more color question. So, uh, Lisa, I saw you posted the cover to issue five the other day. Mm-hmm. And uh, it occurred to me, like, 20 minutes after I looked at, at it, uh, at, the, at the picture, that Yona also had the same color armpit hair. So, <laughs> that's her natural hair color. <laughs> or she dyes her armpit hair, which is also a... Or, third point, she has magic. That's true. So... There's three of those... There's three, there's three, there's three answers it's a to that mystery. mystery. How that armpit hair gets teal. Maybe the teal. I think that's my, fa- <laughs> I think that might be my favorite part of the cover. Yeah. It's such a nice little, like, like, it's just like a nice little dollop of like, like. Personality. Personality, right on it. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, 
Um, so uh, Vault uh, has a pretty strong cover game, and uh, mm-hmm. you know I loved the uh, the Dazzler number one homage variant yeah. that uh, Tim Daniel and Nathan Gooden did. Uh, you know I, I'm not going to ask you to pick a favorite because that's 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 a terrible thing to do. <laughs> uh, I, I am curious, you know, from your guys' perspective, you know, we, when you're making covers for these books, what makes a what makes a strong cover to you? That's a great question. I'll let Lisa go. Yeah, first. I'll start. Um, so this was working on covers for Witchblood was a funny little experience, at least the covers that I did, because I had an idea specifically for a tarot cover before I had what ended up being like the 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 the, the number one. The number one, yeah. Um which was the Yona riding the motorcycle as the chariot. And I knew that I, I didn't think I wanted to do tarot covers for every single issue as variants, but everyone loved the idea so much that now I am doing two covers for every single issue, which is fun. And thankfully I love to do the tarot homage covers because it is, uh, at this point, kind of like second nature, yeah. and uh, it's a fun little thing. But um, doing the main covers—that's the rose. Yeah, doing doing the main covers for this series. Uh, Matt actually helped me to kind of I don't know, like unlock a part of creativity that I had it found yet when it came to cover work and cover composition and that he told because I always felt like at least for main covers uh, I had a tendency to overthink and put a lot of pressure on myself that it had to be like totally like narratively informed to the extent that it needed to tell you like everything that was going to happen in the issue and I that's one approach for sure and I'm not I'm not knocking that at all that's what I did before kind of witch blood and Matt told me after I don't know after I think after the first cover yeah you were like you were like think about these covers less as like I don't know a a, you're you're selling a poster for the book and more like you're just creating really amazing fan art of your own characters and just completely do what you would do if you were just creating these covers for fun. Yeah. And that kind of thinking about it that way, it was almost like, oh, I just kind of managed to click off this uh, internal like critic and just have as much fun as possible creating the main covers that I don't know, but I, I feel like I uh, uh, poured a lot of myself into them. And I think that whether or not they give you a solid idea of what exactly plot happens in that issue, it gives you a great idea of the feel of the book. That's the whole concept. Yeah. yeah. It's just like every single cover doesn't necessarily need to tell you what's going on inside. Like if you bought the book, you're going to find out. Yeah. It's like it, like if the cover's job is to literally it just entice you, entice you. Being like, Ooh, what's this? Exactly. Yeah. And so uh, I look for covers that are really like, honestly, the more visually arresting a cover can be, the more I'm drawn to it. Like, mm-hmm. you know, a really powerful single character looking really interesting or, or like, 
that just sparks an initial conversation, like between the reader and or the buyer and the shop is like, who is that character? Like, that's all you basically need to do. Mm-hmm. And um, the better you can do that, like, like, you know. And I think the characters are what sells which blood the most. Oh, uh, absolutely. So I've just been putting them kind of front and uh, right in front on every single cover that I've done so yeah. far. Uh, but they're great. I I mean I've I've seen the I've seen the draft for issue six cover uh, and Yoshi's Yoshi's um uh, variant covers variant covers and the the the, the five issue set was announced. Yeah, that was just announced today. They look incredible. Yoshi has done an absolutely amazing job. Yeah, the covers. I could not be happier. And I mean, I don't know if this has been announced yet or if it will get announced, but there's more to come too. So if, if yeah, people are in the market we, for Yoshi covers, yeah. like we got them. <laughs> uh, Yoshi's doing the full our our first you know ten issues. So and the Easy Rider homage cover was really cool too. Yeah, I think yeah. there's only like thirty of those left right now. That's last I, last I heard. Yeah. yeah. Nice. No, no, yeah, it's been super fun working with Vault. They, yeah, they. Uh, they always have so many ideas mm-hmm. that it's just it's just inspiring and awesome getting to work with them. Um, you said you said this is ten issues. Yeah, that's 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 our that's our contract. Uh, you know, it has hope. I mean, truthfully, like the the goal is that it sells well enough and people mm-hmm. like it, and that, that we get to write more. That we get to write more. I the the goal is that it becomes an ongoing. I, I mean, I've got a I've got a a whole story planned for the first 10 issues, but you know, whether or not uh, I hear from vault, if we're going to get, you know, any more, that'll determine how the series ends or begins or starts over. I don't know. <laughs> it's, it's, uh, it, it's, it's nice to hear a series, you know, you, you don't get long indie series these days, I feel like, or, 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 I, or not. No, you don't. You, I'm, I'm basically now like, demanding it from the publishers i work with uh like five issues isn't enough five issues isn't enough it's like it's like it's it's like it's not i mean i and i understand it's like there's a lot of business decisions and there's a lot of reasons why a publisher would be like five issues is like the perfect amount for a reader who semi-frequently goes into a comic book shop like i i probably there's probably data to back it up as to why that number is the magic number um but i just think you like the readers get better stories with 10 issues i think there's like you get connected with the characters better like there's just so much more space in the issue actually like in the individual issue when you know you've got double the amount of time to tell the story you can devote smaller moments to things that you wouldn't normally have the time to do so even just having those extra five makes a world of difference and uh i mean long lost we were lucky with long lost we had 12 issues with long lost and that was like our first thing uh which from what i understand is uh, still to this day unheard of i I don't know of a comic that gets an immediate 12 issue run from literal unknowns so i'm still really grateful that scout did that for us and yeah I, i i i hope more publishers like take the opportunity to either like roll the dice on some stuff and give people you know, eight to 10 issue runs on these cool little indie stories. And, you know, I, like I said, I, I think it helps build a trust with the shop that you believe in these creators and that the readers 
the readers tend to know that they're going to get their money's worth out of a 10 issue book rather than a five issue book. That's at least how I feel, but I could be wrong. Um, I mentioned long lost, you know, how do you feel like that? How do you to feel like you've evolved as creators since, since that first uh, uh, co-production? <laughs> yeah. I mean, as far, I mean, I learned how to write comics. Like, that's the, I evolved into somebody who was writing comics and didn't know what I was doing to someone who was writing comics and I kind of now know what I'm doing. Like that. Your scripts are much easier to work with now. Yeah. And also like, like, I feel like I've grown a lot. Like, I remember making Long Lost and feeling so anxious about like my layouts and my action and like just 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 knowing then that like there are bits and pieces of this that could definitely improve and so and, and honestly that was part of the reason why for the next book when we came up with Witchblood I was like I want to do something that has more action I want to do something that has that's faster paced. I want to challenge myself to, you know, out to get out of my comfort yeah. zone of, which, we, yeah, of just, yeah. And, uh, you learn by doing, I think. Mm -hmm. And it's some like, you know, sometimes you fail and sometimes it doesn't turn out like you want it to. There's certainly like parts of long lost that I'm sure both of us wish we could go back with and fiddle with, mm -hmm. but it's just like, you learn from those things. And, and I'm super proud of, uh, my art in witch blood. It's, yeah. uh, I, uh have finally figured out a schedule as a freelancer that enables me to put as much time and love and care into every page as I need and not feel too rushed. Um, it doesn't always go according to plan, but um, it's... Uh, I'm still struggling with that part. I'm still, I'm still trying to balance I mean, all I mean, it's, I've been freelance now for three years and I, still, and I still struggle with time management uh but yeah no i uh my layouts are one thing in particular that i really that i really tried hard to just uh break out of the grid sometimes and experiment with and uh try new things and with each issue i feel like i'm feeling uh getting more and more confident in my uh yeah my, my storytelling ability my scripts my scripts tend to be very chatty. There's a lot of words in them, typically. I mean, just reading Witchblood, you can probably tell that I like to write words. There's a lot of them in that first issue. Uh, but if you can believe it, it was somehow substantially worse. Uh, my scripts used to be like three times wordier and way harder to follow. And Lisa would have to write and, or at least it would have to draw all that stuff for long loss. So I've, I mean, it's just, you work, with different artists and you work with different publishers and you figure out kind of how everybody likes things to be and you incorporate that into how you do things and it makes it i mean generally uh makes things a lot easier for everybody so uh picking up those little tricks that, that you learn when you're working with different people really help hell yeah uh, so before we leave Winchblood Talk, uh, we did get one Twitter question. Uh, Asimov Fangirl, a.k.a. the loyalist content consumer, uh, asks, uh, if, if you became witches, uh, what, would your what would your outfit look like and what would be your uh, familiar? Oh, that's a great question. Okay. Um, off the top of my head, 
my outfit would include um, velvet bell bottoms. Whoa. And platform shoes. Whoa. And like a giant fuzzy pink coat. Okay. <laughs> this is all very on brand for you. <laughs> and my familiar, ooh. I just, I mean, I just want to claim our dog. Is, well, no, Rory would be a terrible familiar. Absolutely. Our dog would not be a good familiar no. at all. Um, I mean, that's basically what he is now, and he's not good at it. Oh, man. You answer your fashion question. I'm still thinking about my familiar. So, I don't know if in the context of this world or in the world of witches, I, uh, as a person who identifies as a man would be able to be a witch, which is fine. I uh, I don't know if I would have a particular outfit that I would wear, but I definitely know that my familiar would be a penguin. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. A penguin? Yeah. <laughs> I'm pretty confident in that answer. I, I don't know exactly what I would wear. It might be tr nothing at all, a magic. <laughs> Who's going to stop me? Uh, so I, I think that. So you just walk out from the woods, nude with nude a penguin, with your penguin, ready to cast some spells. I think that's, <laughs> you know, I think that's the vibe that I'm gonna roll with. But see, this uh, is good because you guys complete each other, right? So she's got the fashion figured yeah. out. You've got the familiar <laughs> figured out. Yeah, that's basically how it goes. <laughs> Together, you make one witch. <laughs> there you go. Yep. That's how it works. That's acceptable to me. Yeah. <laughs> Well, it feels uh. like we got to put that character in the comic now. B both of both of that. Oh. No, the singular oh, like right. yes. what you designed with plus penguin. Okay, we'll figure it out. Yeah, we just we just wrote some of the book. We just we'll 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 punch in for this hour so we get our work in. There, there you go. Listen, if you can figure out how to get vampires to survive the, the, the desert sun, then you can figure out how to get a penguin to uh, same. Yeah, there you go. Now, now, is it like a little like puffiny penguin or is it one of those giant emperor penguins? No, big ass fucking island penguin. Just like <laughs> crack a coconut with its beak sort of thing. Love it. Love it. Um, but, uh, yeah, so th this isn't, uh, your, your only guy, uh, your guy's only iron in the fire right now. Uh, Lisa, you're contributing a Jess Chambers flash story with, uh, Danny Lore for DC's Pride Anthology in June. Yes. Uh, that's awesome. Is it, is this your first, uh, big two, uh, big two work? It is. Yep. Uh, yeah, it has been so fun. Both, I mean, one, I get to work with Danny, which I was so excited about when I was like, Danny's my writer for this. This is amazing. And we've been dorking out about it for <laughs> weeks now. Um, and yeah, Jess is such an amazing, funny character. And I've been having so much fun uh, working with them. And uh, yeah, I can't, I can't wait for everyone to, to read it in June. Right on. That is awesome. Um, and then uh, the last time that you were on the show, we, again, we talked about the tarot deck. Uh, since then, Marvel did an entire X-Men crossover centered on tarot cards. Uh, was, that, was that an opportunity that you were able to seize on? Like, like hey, kids, you like the tarot now? Have I got something <laughs> for you? <laughs> um, there was any direct 
correlation, but I will say this, since we last talked, uh -huh. the, uh, the Butter Rich Tarot deck uh, is doing very well. So um, that has been... The yeah. resurgence of interest in tarot has been very, it's, very gone into the deck. It's been, or it's been maybe... In do the to deck. the deck, yeah. <laughs> you, I, I think you can maybe take Maybe I can take some credit. No, no, no. Uh, tarot, tarot, tarot is already having like its moment and resurgence before I made my deck. And it's just been going strong ever since. Um, new, new people and picking up tarot decks every day. And it's really exciting and awesome to see because I love it. It's, so. a, it's a great way to tell stories with each other. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then, uh, Matthew, you just had a new series, Good Luck, uh, announced at Boom with uh, yeah. Stefano Simeon for, for June. Uh, Matt, I'm gonna, Matt, I'm going to ask you to do that thing you do real quick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Synopsis. What if luck was quantifiable and something everyone was born with? Everyone except the unfortunates. Teenagers born with absolutely zero luck. Now, with the world mysteriously plunged into chaos and reality itself threatened, they will be our only hope to save the world. Our last hope is those with no chance of success. The only thing anyone can wish them is good luck. Thank you. That was a very good read. <laughs> it's what I do. <laughs> um, so... Uh... Who is who's the audience for this for this book and and how or or does it differ from you know that for for which blood? I would say uh, good luck. So you know, which blood has a de has a very specific set of influences. You know, a lot of supernatural stuff, a lot of westerny, a lot of Americana, a lot of you know really colorful action. I would even say like certain very popular anime and manga have been pretty influential like cowboy bebop and stuff and for good luck it's a completely different set of influences for me i it's a full-on science fiction story to the to the definition of what science fiction is it is about science and and fiction <laughs> um i don't know how else to put someone else described it better and when they described what science fiction is but uh good luck you know the influence are like i i was so inspired by things like neon genesis evangelion and uh uh andre tarkovsky's stalker and uh i'm trying to i'm trying to think of some other things back to the future uh there's a lot of really wonderful inspirations in Good Luck that, you know, I've been holding on to and I've been thinking about for a long time. And that story, you know, is the opportunity for those, those things to see the light of day. And, and you know, uh, Stefano's, I mean, I, I don't know if either of you had read his Mega Man series that he did with Boom, but, and he's done some work before that, but I, I think, the, the Mega Man series that he did with Boom was maybe one of the first or, or one of the larger things he'd done for the, the U.S. audience, but mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's absolutely gorgeous. It's incredible. And I was really lucky that Stefano's doing the colors on, he's doing the art and the colors on Good Luck. So he's pulling double duty and I've, I've seen some of the pages and they're absolutely mind blowing. Um, luck powers are always kind of an interesting thing to see play out in comics, you know, thinking about like Longshot, Domino, yeah. Black Cat on occasion. Uh, there was that Bad Luck Chuck series that came out a couple of years ago from Dark Horse. Um, what what non-spoilery things can you say about 
sort of the rules of, of luck uh, in, in your book? So luck is really difficult. It's, it's actually like my editors and I have a, and I have a powerhouse editing team working with me on this. It's Eric uh, Harburn and uh, 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 Jonathan Manning and Gavin uh, Gronenthal. It's, I have three editors working with me on this book and we have, oh boy. We, we have spent so many hours and emails just talking back the, the, Literally, like, and, and I'm, this isn't a sport. It's like the quantum science of what luck even means. Like, what, it, like, what, what is that concept boiled down to? Like, the scientific aspects of it. Is it, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's probability based. There's aspects of, you know, string theory that we've thought about. And I think when you think about luck, at the end of the day, it requires context. And I think the story of good luck is about how our individual context uh, defines what luck is for each of us individually. Uh, And I know that's a really heady galaxy brain description of what luck is, but it's real. like, you know what I mean? It's like, so an example, uh, you, you get struck by lightning. Mm -hmm. That's that, that thing, that thing that happens, that's not good luck or bad luck. If you die, it's really bad luck. But if you go on and to live, you're super lucky. You got struck by lightning and you survived. That's really good luck. So it's like the context and the outcome of the situation really uh, define what luck is. And in a story, you know, that's all a story is, is it's, it's, uh, it's context for these things. And um, yeah, it's really, there's a lot to it. <laughs> I, I don't, you know, honestly, when I sat down to write this, I didn't think it was going to be as difficult as it was. And as I was doing it, I, I really started to not envy anyone who's ever written a luck based superpower. Like I know Gail Simone wrote Domino and I just like, I would never take that job in a million years. It sounds so working through the, 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 the Rube Goldberg puzzles and ideas that you have to do to, to make sense of certain things. It's, it's ridiculous. (laughs) Um, in the uh, original press release announcing the series, you, you describe it as as one of your more personal stories. Yeah. Uh, what what uh, what makes it so? I just I mean truthfully I I feel really lucky. I I don't think there's anything about me or the things that I've done or the stories that I write that make me inherently unique or special. I, I mean I obviously I'm a I'm like a unique individual, but I what I did anyone else can do, um, and I think. I feel really lucky in the regards of how I, you know, became a creative writer for a living. And uh, it's just one of those things where to me, that's, there's a little bit of an imposter syndrome behind that where it's like, you know, because I don't feel, uh, you know, certain ways, it doesn't feel like maybe I've deserved certain things. You know, people have been trying to write comics or have been writing comics for way longer than I have. And, you know, they've never got a series by Boom or they've never got a, a series by Vault or, or anything. And, and so when I thought about how I've kind of been as a creative and, and the things and the fortune that has, you know, kind of come to me, I, I, I just really wanted to get that across in a story and, and tell a story about kids that don't feel lucky, but, you know, sometimes stuff happens or kids that aren't lucky and, and they've got to make the best out of uh, uh, a bad situation. And uh, yeah, so 
yeah, I, I just, I, I guess I wanted to communicate with the story of good luck and, you know, it comes out in June. So I'm still writing it too. So who knows if, you know, obviously things might change, but I just really want to communicate that like, you know, luck is this thing that is ever present and it kind of strikes randomly. There's no, it's just, you know, it's one of those things and you, you either feel lucky or you have to make yourself feel lucky. Mm -hmm. I think kind of rambling about good luck, <laughs> but it's fine. <laughs> um, so you, you've done licensed all ages stuff for, for dark crystal power Rangers, mm -hmm. care bears. Does that kind of stuff or did that kind of stuff, uh, you know, engender the goodwill that that has you now working on on this original series absolutely yeah i mean i uh you know i started talking with boom and uh probably about two years ago and from those discussions and pitching early ideas and you know i think they got a feel for what i wanted to do and I think what the, you know, working on intellectual property for a publisher, what it allows an editor to see is like, can this guy cut it? It's like, you know, we don't have to devote as many resources into creating this original idea. You know, here's Dark Crystal, you know, we'll make sure it's good, but here's this proving ground for this writer to, to at least show us and, and uh, you know, and what, you know, what he can do. And the same goes for Power Rangers. I, I think boom and, and publishers that have those intellectual properties are, are, I think they're really smart to give them to the, the people that, that are, are new into the industry and, and need uh, the, honestly, it's like the clout boost from writing a Power Rangers story or a, or a Dark Crystal story. It's like, mm -hmm. you know, working for DC and Marvel, it's the same thing. It's like you get so much more exposure and you get so much more of an opportunity to reach new fans when you write a Superman story. Um, you know, those kids that like the Superman stuff or the kids that like the Spider-Man stuff will be like, I like this writer, you know, and check out something that they might not have checked out otherwise, which is, I think the goal, you know, that's why I'm always like really interested in whatever comes my way. It's just another opportunity to get in front of new people. It doesn't really matter what it is. I wrote a Care Bears story. Hopefully in five years when those kids are old enough to start buying their own comics, they'll buy mine. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, so, you know, which blades out now, good luck's about to start in, in, mm. uh, in two months. You just wrapped terminal punks at mad cave. Uh, yeah. You know, do you, do you feel like this is, you know, uh, your kind of busiest period right now? In, yeah. In I mean, right now it's definitely the busiest I've ever been professionally. I mean, it's the first time I've been this busy professionally. Uh, I hope it's not the busiest it'll ever get. That would be, uh, uh, you know, it would suck to peak this early, it seems, <laughs> but whatever. Uh, I can't really complain. Um, yeah, no, it's great. I, I, I've, I've got some other things in the, you know, in the, in the, like, in the far off. I've got another thing with Mad Cave that I'm working on. I've got uh, something with Dark Horse that's really early in the works that I'm really excited about. Um, and it's just, you know, I've had some really incredible opportunities with some other publishers that everyone really loves to pitch with them. And I'm hoping that through the pitch processes and working with the editors that I get to tell stories all over the place. I think that's the dream. And then um, you're also still working on uh, bonding the, uh, the OGN with uh, Emily Pearson, correct? Yeah. 
that's still in production. Um, I, I mean, I, I didn't mean to put say still with such emphasis. It's currently in production. <laughs> it's still in production. No, uh, there's a lot of that book that's finished. We're wrapping up like a couple of the last things and that, but that's, yeah, that's another thing. I, I've, I, I really don't know when that's going to come out. Um, uh, so yeah, that's another thing that people can look forward to. If you like the stuff that I make, uh, there's a whole, it's like a 200 page, over 200 pages. Mm -hmm with Emily Pearson and everyone loves her. So are, are there any uh, updates or, or, or anything along the lines of, of, you know, I know uh, long lost was, was optioned for a TV show a while back. Um, you know, anything there? No real updates there. Nothing that we can talk about um, mm -hmm. legally, of course. Sure. <laughs> uh, we would be ejected into the sun by all manner of lawyer <laughs> and uh, legal professional. But nothing that we can say now, um, long lost, you know, whatever happens with it. Mm -hmm. uh, Jenny Klein, who was the, 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 the individual that optioned it, has been an incredible collaborator and working with her has been a literal dream come true. Like it's there. Uh, we can't say that it's getting resolicited though. Oh yeah. Long hey, lost is getting a new uh, magazine. Uh, the first and the second issues are get are coming out again on comic book shops in June with a new Sweeney boot cover, which is very exciting. Oh, cool. Yeah. So if you didn't get a chance to pick it, uh, pick it up. You the first take a peek at the first two issues of it, see if you like it, and then uh, have the trouble, trades. The trades waiting for you. Have trouble finding it elsewhere. <laughs> uh, no, but yeah, if I'm I'm hoping that you know people will see it on the shelves and and you know, just be interested. It's something cool where, you know, we've got this story that we can, and we have friends in the comic industry. And if there's ever an opportunity to get new cover work or help, you know, pay some, pay a friend to do some new artwork for something and put it out mm -hmm. on shelves, like we're all for that. I think that's the coolest part about comics and uh, getting to do that with Long Lost is really exciting. So uh, here, here's kind of, you know, we're getting into this, this, this period now where, you know, people are getting vaccinated. Matthew, I saw you got your sticker the other day. I did. Um, yeah. When, when do you feel, and, and, and this is subjective and of course, subject to change, God knows, mm -hmm. you know, when do you feel like it'll be convention time again? You know, that's a great question. Mm -hmm. I, I think that I think that you will probably see a lot. I mean, there's already conventions booked for the end of this year end for a lot year, of places. Yeah. I know Thought Bubbles, Thought Bubbles happening. I know San Diego is, is that still happening during Thanksgiving? <laughs> that, that, as far as I know, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so there's a lot of uh, cons happening and there's a lot of arguably, you know, some arguable, debatable decisions being made in regards to the timing of those conventions. Certainly. But I, you know, I, I do think people will go to those things. I mean, Thought Bubble is, is really interesting. We were thinking about going to Thought Bubble if that's in November mm -hmm. and that's a ways away. So it's yeah. like, it's really about, I think truthfully, you know, it's really about how people feel safe when they're flying and for the, for the people that are going to be tabling, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of things you have to consider when you're going to those cons and how easy it is to get your product there and how safe you feel, you know, sure. being there and, and transporting stuff. So I, I, I don't think it's going to go back to normal for maybe, uh, uh, maybe a couple, you know, 
to be safe, maybe a couple years. Mm-hmm. I think that attendance is probably going to be sluggish. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. and, and, and especially yeah, during, I yeah, I think especially during things like Thanksgiving, it's going to be even harder to get people out there to buy and support the artists and the creators that are making comic books. And that's really the only thing that these shows, it's a trade show for us. So, um, and the industry as a whole. So I think the best decisions uh, are the ones that get the most amount of people safely spending money at the, at the show floors. Yeah. Um, I'm hoping that next year, you know, Emerald city feels safe to go to. I'm optimistic. I'm optimistic. Yeah. I would love to go. (laughs) Emerald city. I'm hoping next year, Emerald city feels good to go to. I'm hoping, you know, New York feels good to go to the, the really the big ones. Um, Mm -hmm. we were, I mean, just on the short term, we were even thinking about seeing what dragon con looks like. I've never been to that one. Mm-hmm. I know that's a pretty popular one in Atlanta. So, yeah. um, I don't know. It's, it's, it's a great question. I think the truthfully, you know, I think the state of the industry is, I mean, we've already seen so much change in the last year with mm-hmm. diamonds kind of stuff happening with them and stuff happening with Simon and Schuster. And mm-hmm. there's a lot of stuff happening. And, um, I think stuff will continue to happen in regards to conventions as well. I think that's a safe bet. bet. (laughs) Things will continue to happen good or bad. That's, that's, that's me playing playing the numbers. (laughs) I I like those odds. No, it's, it's definitely people are going to return, I guess, guess return to society at, at at different rates at their comfort. And you know, my, my kind of conspiracy theory for the reason that we're not seeing the big cons until the end of the year of the holiday season is that it's almost a guaranteed form of crowd control because true, a yeah. lot of people are going to be, you know, the ones that are looking to go out again are also going to be busy with a lot of other stuff. You That's know, true. you I, almost want to bring the numbers down just to make sure that you can do the things you need to do in terms of spacing and I don't know, making sure you have enough plexiglass barriers or. or I, I actually think, th- I don't think that's a conspiracy theory. I think that's a good theory as to why these things are being held later in the year during the colder months. Just yeah. to, just, just, you know, it's, it's probably safer to kind of have a slower rollout for the first couple conventions post COVID to make sure that procedures are in place. Everything's, you know, I mean, we've all been to conventions. There's a reason con crud is a thing. Yeah, it's like, there's no, it's like, as much as conventions are fun for everybody, we are not, there's no secret in that you get sick when you go to them. <laughs> like, so, I mean, in a world where getting sick is a really bad thing and, and, and pretty serious, you know, it increases your chances for even getting even sicker. Mm-hmm. Uh, making sure procedures and protocols and all sorts of things are in place so that people don't have con crud when they leave those convention halls is really yeah. important. And, and, and listen, you know, whether, whether you're tabling or, or just going, pack that hand, Sandy, get yeah. put it right next to your seat. And if you're an artist, like just sell masks, it's a great product to move. Like oh, yeah. masks, yeah. masks, I think are going to be like the new t-shirts. I think for a lot of people where it's like something that's easy to produce. Everyone wants one. Cause I'm not going to stop wearing a mask cause this is over. It's like, I kind of, honestly, I kind of dig it. I don't have to worry about three quarters of my face when I'm going out. <laughs> like who needs to see what you I look like? Make funny faces of people like they don't know. that's for me and my, that's for me and my family to know what the rest of my face looks like. Y'all can, <laughs> y'all can keep that. Like, you know what I mean? 
make it harder for the government to surveil you. Exactly. There's cameras all around. It's like, what a great, what a great way to combat that is just face coverings. They're quite comfortable. I believe everyone will be wearing them in the future. Yeah. Class Princess Bride. Like, it's, it's a accurate prediction, and I hope it stays to be accurate. Okay, so I'm seeing I'm seeing the dog now, yes. and I, I that dog does not look like a bad familiar. I mean, I don't I don't I don't live with him. Don't live with him. So he's a terror. He's a tiny he, terror. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's pretty good for us, but I guess for other people, he probably sucks. Ah, <laughs> uh, uh, so uh, what what are you uh, what are you guys uh, reading right now? Oh God, I you're reading more than I am. I am reading Homesick Pilots. Yeah, I love that book. Which I've been yes. loving. So yes. Nice. I actually kind of had to tell Matt not to read it because I thought that he oh. might get jealous. So I might. <laughs> that's how good it is. And it's like aesthetically like right up both yeah. of our alleys. I'm there, just like, ooh, I love this. There's certain things that I, that I, you know, there's nothing that I like. I, it's Casper that does that book, right? He does yeah. the art. Yeah. Yeah. There are certain books that I that I just stay away from because I know that they're gonna make me angry. <laughs> that you didn't make yeah, it. Yeah, it's just like, <laughs> like oh, why did I think of this? <laughs> I, I I know that book's beautiful and I know that book's good just from how much you've been ranting and raving about it. So it's just I've like I've been trying not to too much. I know. Uh, I've been reading. I need to get caught up, but I was enjoying the first few issues of Department of Truth. I think I'm an issue or two behind. Yeah, I lagged behind on that. Um. Uh, you read a uh, Doro Hidoro the manga, right? Oh, yeah, I read Doro Hidoro. I've been look. I've been going through like old back catalog stuff. I just uh, I've been rereading or not rereading. Uh, I've been reading for the first time uh, JoJo's Bizarre Adventure Stone Ocean, which is the sixth part, which is very exciting. Uh, I just read Doro Hidoro, the first volume of that. Uh, I read, I've been mentioning this a lot in interviews that I've been doing, but I've read, I just finished uh, probably like a couple months ago, Suhiro Maro's um, Ultra Gash Inferno, which I wouldn't recommend to everyone. But you love to bring it up. I love to bring it up, but I would not recommend it. Uh, I absolutely loved the book. It was uh, absolute, it's a stunning work of creative brilliance, but I would not recommend it to anyone. Okay. Mm. It's incredible, but don't read it. <laughs> don't pick it up. You'll be, you'll be, it's like, you'll be cursed for the rest of your life <laughs> with a sacred, unknowledge. knowledge. Um, you know, that, sound, that sounds like when my friend made me watch The Greasy Strangler. Um, it's like, I mean, it's, I, I know what The Greasy Strangler is, and even this would make The Greasy Strangler look like a Dr. Seuss book. Cannibal Holocaust? Wait, it's, it's, it's somehow worse than that. Hell's bells. I'm not. Right. I'm not joking around with you. Suhiro Maru does not play around. He's. It's like. It's. Uh. It's. It's some. It's some pretty. It's some pretty righteous stuff. Uh, All right. Yeah. I. I can't. I'm. I know. I have a giant pile of things that I have been reading and have forgotten. I read the first. I, I just read. Um, I read Beta Ray Bill number one. Oh, that was great. Uh, yeah, it was really good. I, I haven't read of any more of, I haven't read anything else from Daniel Warren Johnson. So I was, I was really like, really impressed that he uh, mined. You, you want to get mad on the homesick pilots vein? Go, go read Murder Falcon. That, that's, okay. that's all I'll say. <laughs> okay, okay, cool. Nice. Um, 
I was really impressed by that. Uh, but I mean, I picked up a bunch of stuff, even this, just this week that I'm excited to get into. Um, I haven't read Berserk, Berserker, the Keanu Reeves thing yet. Mm. Um, yeah, there, I mean, there's just a bunch of stuff. There's a lot of cool stuff out right now. Yeah, certainly. Well, uh, uh, Matthew and Lisa, it's, it's been fun. It's, it's been an hour. Uh, as we're, final question, uh, how can people uh, follow you online and keep up with everything you got going on? Uh, you can find me on Instagram at Lisa Sterl and Twitter at Lisa Sterl or Lisa underscore Sterl. You're the most popular Lisa Sterl there. Yeah, is. you can just Google me. We'll it, so. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'll just start saying that. Like, use Google, guys. Um, <laughs> if you try to use Google to find me, there's a couple of us out there. One of them is a long distance sprinter. There's another one of me that's uh, plays jazz <laughs> saxophone. Uh, well, there's a bunch of Matt Ermans out there. Uh, we seem like a pretty uh, tenacious lot, but I'm, I think I'm the only writer of the bunch. Uh, so you can find me on Twitter at Matthew Ehrman. Um, and then my website is just MatthewErman.com. All right, uh, Matthew, Lisa, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you all for having us. Yeah. This was a blast. Thank you so much. That's it for this week's show. As a reminder, WMQ&A is part of Comics XF, meaning you can find this podcast along with our sister podcasts, Battle of the Atom and Chris's On Infinite Earths, and a ton of great comics criticism at comicsxf.com. You can listen to WMQ&A on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and at comicsxf.com, where new episodes move Tuesday mornings. You can support WMQ&A at patreon.com slash WMQcomics, where a dollar donation gets you early access to episodes, shoutouts on the podcast, and a customized bonus reading column written by Matt Lazowitz built around the character, creator, or theme of your choice. A $2 donation gets you a free random comic in the mail from my collection. A $3 donation gets you a slot in the Comics XF staff picks. And a $50 donation lets you advertise on the show. Big thanks to our patrons, Charlie Davis from the Match Club podcast, Robert Secundus from Toxman at ComicsXF.com, Carla Pacheco from Marvel's Spider-Woman series, Lan M from Lan's Vids, and Asimov Fangirl, a.k.a. the loyalist content consumer. You can follow WMQ&A on Twitter at WMQComics, me at Daniel P. Grote, Matt Lazowitz at MattLaz1013, and ComicsXF at ComicsXF. And until next week, remember... That one time Pete Wisdom stopped a vampire invasion from the moon. W-N-Q-A.